Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. We're continuing our series of flashbacks and watching old movies because, you know, the theaters are still closed or we might have some uh, streaming releases to talk about coming up soon. But here we're uh, still kind of going back and finding old movies that we have an interesting reason to revisit or something that I've just never gotten around to seeing that I am wanted to finally watch now that we have no excuse not to do those things that we've always said we're going to do. And <laughs> we're just sitting at home right now. So I'm happy to be joined by my friend Pixar animation Disney correspondent Joe Morgan. Joe, thanks for being here. Happy to be here, Josh. Yeah, so today's episode is on both The Good Dinosaur and Brave. I was I was talking to Joe about what we were going to do when it became apparent we just weren't going to have movie theaters around for a while. And I thought, you know, I've I, I've done a good job of seeing Pixar movies since, like, I've been doing podcasts. I have, I've seen everyone in theaters that's come out the last five years, but there's some that I've just never really gotten around to. And one of, or one of those is The Good Dinosaur, and one of them is brave and i thought hey it'd be cool to kind of work on becoming a pixar completist and i think it's good that joe and i fit in these two to talk about in this episode because the other ones that are kind of my blind spots at this part are the cars movies and uh monsters university but it's been so long since i've seen monsters inc that that's gonna be a little more of a project because i think i'll have to like go back and watch monsters inc again first and then watch monsters university and i mean i guess we'll do a cars podcast at some point and i'll have to find time to (laughs) somehow watch all three cars movies and figure out like how to talk about them in one podcast without them all blending together which i I don't know anything about those movies maybe that'll be inevitable and it'll just kind of be one big blob of a podcast but i thought it'd be interesting to do good dinosaur and brave because uh they, they don't really fit in a box like those other two. They're kind of independent of each other. And I thought they'd be interesting to revisit because uh, fair or not, I feel like Brave's a little bit forgotten as a Pixar movie. And uh, I just, I, I feel like it doesn't get talked about a ton. And The Good Dinosaur is more kind of derided a little bit as being lesser Pixar. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I feel like that's how sometimes people talk about it. So it'd be cool to kind of revisit it and see if that's even a fair designation to give it. Uh, we're going to talk about The Good Dinosaur first. And I, Joe, I want to start by saying that like I had that, uh, kind of notion in my head based on how people had talked about the good dinosaur. But I'll say before I even like give a little brief overview of the movie that I, I, I want to say after watching this, I kind of had the thought that like for me, I would say it's fair to say that Pixar movies are like almost like Quentin Tarantino movies where like, I don't think there's a bad one. I think they are like varying degrees of like to great to like at the very least, like you don't mind watching them. And so I definitely did not come away from the good dinosaur thinking that it's, it's, but Joe kind of explained to me before I started it, like, yeah, it's a weird movie. So (laughs) I was like, so I was like, all right, well, that's a, that's an interesting, like a little snippet of information to have going into it. And uh, the good dinosaur is kind of, it, First of all, it's a movie about a feral child and a domesticated dinosaur. So it it it, 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 it is very weird, but it, I mean, it tells the story of like a family of dinosaurs way back millions, 65 million years ago. One of them is uh, in kind of the, it's a it's a family where the, the father is uh, voiced by what, Jeffrey Wright. His name is, I mean, it's just Papa. And, uh, yeah. or, or it's, I guess it says Papa Henry here on the thing I'm looking at, but he's, he's Papa. And as a mom, and they're waiting for their three kids to be born. They have two that are, uh, regular dinosaurs that are hatched from an egg and then one that's like very small and he is named Arlo and he grows up being the little runt of the family. He can't help with the chores as much. He's weak and his siblings pick on him but his parents are very nice. They're very supportive. They just want him to kind of grow up and quote unquote leave his mark and you know one of the ways what he could do that is by you know just killing something so that's an interesting uh, little uh, <laughs> uh, thing to have at the beginning of a Pixar movie is that you need to kill to be able to have self worth uh, but that's that, that's where we start out he is one day he is uh, presented with the opportunity to, to kill a 
quote unquote creature, and then he'll earn his stripes. Turns out that creature is actually a caveman or cave child, and he uh, isn't able to do it, runs after it, and uh, when he does, he ends up, you know, about to possibly like fall into a river. This flash flood occurs, and his dad's trying to save him, and we basically get some kind of like almost a Lion King reenactment of sorts, and his dad is flushed away, and uh, and dies and it's very sad he then sees the caveman at another the cave child at another point and wants to get revenge because he blames him for his dad's death tries to track him down he himself uh kind of gets uh swallowed up in a river and ends up very far away from home and we're on a journey to get back to him joe before you went back and revisited what was the thing that had stuck with this movie most for you because i mean i i think you're maybe a little f- more familiar with it than maybe your average moviegoer but i mean you did think this is really weird so as someone that's very familiar with pixar what is something that really stuck with you about this movie that maybe i mean i don't think you necessarily thought it was bad but it certainly is very distinctive in some ways so what was the thing about it that always struck you at the time you saw it and kind of stuck with you as like this is just something very different for pixar to do well i'll say for the good dinosaur is when i think about it i mostly think of like the word salvaged in a way Hmm. uh actually i think the good dinosaur and brave is an interesting pairing for uh this episode because much is made of pixar's production process where a lot of times they kind of start with a general concept and then like through trial and error, they'll like board sequences until they start finding a story that works. And then they'll sort of bring in an outside writer then to kind of craft the story in that way. And, uh, these two movies are more of the tumultuous, uh, examples of that process. Okay. So, uh, when I look at the good dinosaur, I remember knowing the whole like backstory behind the production about how it was originally slated to come out in 2013. And then like ultimately ended up like two and a half years late, the theaters and, they like changed directors and rewrote the entire like script, like wow. halfway through production and stuff. So I remember going to see that movie and just being like, Oh wow. Like this is uh like, this is uh this is pretty good and primal uh, for like what I was sort of expecting out of it. Uh, but yeah, I will say it's definitely one of Pixar's weirdest uh, titles. It's very um, playful in the way it kind of talks about death and danger and some of the ways that other Pixar movies don't. So yeah, when I texted you, I had yet to rewatch it, and I was just like, "It's like, yeah, that's like a really, it's it's like definitely on the weird, dark spectrum. Um, <laughs> it's definitely uh, the top of that, I think, for uh, as far as Pixar is concerned. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess a lot of the movies, maybe some of them deal with. Uh, I guess or no. Now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, maybe there isn't as much death as I thought in these movies, which I guess is true. I, you know, I was thinking about well, when we'll get to Brave. I thought Brave was pretty distinctive in its own way for some of the subject matter that it tried to handle. And I, I was thinking, like, what 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 is there that's unique about the Good Dinosaur that gives it its like its own reason to exist? Like, what new terrain is it trying to cover? What what message is there? Because to me, it just kind of felt like it was like, yeah, you should try and you should try and be courageous, and but it's not the end of the world if you're not like. A superhero and i'm like i'm trying to figure out i'm trying to like really kind of get it in my head but i guess like the fact is like he is having to like kind of process the the death of his dad and what that says about him and i guess that is somewhat interesting terrain like not not that every pixar movie is super lighthearted throughout but i guess that's mm-hmm. not really something i mean it's, it's ironic because we had uh, i we had at the time it was very unique for that and then we we just talked about onward a few weeks ago which i mean i i, I don't know if it's necessarily like uh having to process a death that you saw because uh, in that movie, the characters 
father. They died before the main character's father died before he had even had a chance to know him. So he's not mm-hmm. he is having to kind of deal with the death, but not in the same way that they are in the good dinosaur. So this was like very novel subject matter at the time. I don't know. It, it turns into like somewhat of a survival story slash uh, just adventure story. And I don't know if it necessarily dwells on that for too long. And we get, and we, like you said, we get into some like very weird terrain that I think if that is what they were going for, I'm not sure if they necessarily like accomplish everything they were trying to say about death as they were doing it, at least for me. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not saying I think this movie's bad because like, and it's weirdness and all the weird things that Arlo goes through. I'm never, I was never like ready to tune out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely one of the more surprising Pixar movies. Cause I do think the humor is darker. And then like, the thing is like, I guess compared to maybe like onward where it's like a very like, um, emotional processing of the death of a loved one, you know, mm-hmm. whereas like in the good dinosaur, the whole death conversation feels a lot more carnal in a way where it's like, everybody I meet is trying to eat me. It kind of has like that finding Nemo element to it in a way, <laughs> right. except like, uh, doesn't work nearly as well as finding Nemo does, which is one of the great films of the 21st century. Don't at me, but, uh, yeah, no, this one just feels like, like, Oh my God, the world is so incredibly dangerous. And I really, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great way to play out that general message. Like you have to see through the fear to get to the beauty on the other side and like, you know, I don't think that's any new terrain, but, you know, I think this one's like this one is like a solid base hit. This maybe like I think, it's, you know, and you round first and you trot back to the bag and slap hands with the first base coach and and then you go from there. Yeah. And also just I mean, I guess yeah. I guess it is kind of a movie about friendship, too. And mm-hmm. Arlo, as a creature, had really grown up without friends. It looks like they lived a pretty isolated life and mm-hmm. he had been uh, pretty just not just not necessarily probably the best relationship with his siblings as far as what we're led to believe at the very beginning. So he doesn't really even know how to have like regular interactions with people. And it's probably a good lesson in just letting people in. And Mm -hmm. you see that from the get go as even though he's really not given the cave child, I I don't know why I keep saying that we can call him spot. He he gets the spot. That's going to be a lot easier than me stumbling through different permutations (laughs) of caveman cave child. Uh, but Spot like keeps trying to give him stuff, and he's like very perplexed. And it's like, hey man, like you could probably use a friend. And I mean, not I mean maybe more little kids and some of the target audience might be more predisposed to like already have friends and not need that lesson. But it it is still a pretty cool thing to see portrayed on screen. Like how many Pixar movies are actually about like even making friends? I mean, mm-hmm. they're all about their own thing and they all have their own angles. But I mean, I don't know if that's really part of it. Like I mean, I'd say. Toy Story is about a bunch of friends, but, uh, I mean, and I guess, I, I guess that is kind of a certain thing where like, you know, I mean, Woody and Buzz are learning to be friends and at least in the first one, but I mean, for the most part, that's not exactly what those movies about. And this is a different, a different example of showing something in a very different visual with a, a very different visual landscape. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like this movie visually a lot too. It just looked pretty cool. Like, I mean, we always talk about how different a lot of these movies we've talked about over the last couple of years, uh, usually bring something new visually to the table. I don't know if Brave really did that, but I mean, uh, I, I thought the good dinosaur, like it looked really cool. Yeah. Like this, like the photorealism of the landscape, I think is just like some of the best work they've ever done. Like this is definitely one of their most beautiful movies to look at. At one point I was like, wait, is this animated? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's amazing. And, uh, again, like to go off the good dinosaur brave pairing, mm-hmm. they're both kind of technological breakthroughs. Both movies were cause like, uh, Bra- for the movie Brave, like Pixar actually rewrote their entire uh, 
animation system for the first time since they had done Toy Story. And then for this one, there was like a lot of breakthroughs made with the photorealism and stuff. But um, yeah, no, like this one is also very, you know, concerned with nature too. And I just think all that stuff, like with the water, the animation of the water and the look of it, and then the storms and everything else is just, um, yeah, like a very beautiful movie to look at and stuff for sure. Even if, you know, Maybe if, if there's not something like if you're a viewer and you're watching it and there's maybe not something there for you in the story or the or the comedy or whatever, at least you can look at it and just be like, wow, like, is this animated or is this real? So yeah, what do you, th- uh, what'd you think yeah. about some of the other adventures or some of the other uh, situations they encounter on their own adventure? Because I mean, there's obviously like a it's kind of interesting. They have that uh, moment where they where they encounter like all all of these other animals where they they want to like one of these animals is uh i don't even i can't I, i'm not even sure how to pronounce this kind of dinosaur that he is but he he wants to keep the boy and they have to have some yeah. weird competition on who's going to name him and then they get to keep him that arlo just kind of like agrees to it i guess because they could probably eat him if he doesn't agree to it and then he does right. and i and i, I the, the, but all those characters look kind of funny and i'm like oh this is going to kind of be a crew they're going to roll with and we're going to like get to know all these people and then they're just gone in five minutes and i was like that's a, that is just such a weird aside uh, what do you and, and I mean it, it turns into a little more later when he meets the T-Rexes but I was like that is just it's very strange I, I didn't dislike again I didn't dislike watching it but I was like this is such a weird thing to have in a movie yeah you know like I think it's my favorite scene in the entire movie <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah but uh, I'm just gonna butcher it for the for for the air the Styracosaurus I guess good better, uh, better than I could have done he's got like all the animals on his uh say like all the di- like dinosaur Twitter is going to come after us for this. But all, <laughs> like, it's got like it's got like the antlers or whatever, or the big ears and or and the horns or whatever. He's got all the animals sitting on it. I just like how he introduces all the animals and they're all named stuff like Shadow and Deathstroke or like that's an X Men, but you, you get it. And then yeah, uh, and then he's like, and this is Debbie. <laughs> and then, like the the whole, the whole Robin is just Debbie, and I was just like or Deborah. I just thought that was great. Um, yeah, I love that scene. And then like you follow that up immediately with like with the whole prairie dog sequence. It's just like, it's like all these little bits of, you know, just weird humor and stuff. And like, it's definitely like the most surprising Pixar experience I've ever had in the theater. And like, you know, it's just all these funny little vignettes, you know, it's very much a road movie. And I know Pixar at the time called it their first Western. And, huh. um, well, they got Sam yeah. Elliott. So that's a start. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you, yeah, you mentioned the Tyrannosaurus, uh, Rex, uh, cowboys i guess you can call them yeah uh you know i mean there's you know that they're there to drive through the theme a little bit more and you know who's gonna turn down a sam elliott performance in this day he's fantastic and he's got the great draw and everything so i mean yeah you know i mean just i sure being delighted by its weirdness and i was just like wow like you usually don't see that and like you know you have the pterodactyls and the and the uh, wrestlers who were very strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pterodactyls are interesting because, like, I, one thing I did respect was that, like, it, it it didn't feel the need to, like, I don't know, go overboard to give you some, like, massive, massive set piece, like, huge action mm. scene with them. Like, I mean, it's clear they're not good and they're the bad guys and we we want them to get away from them, but you're never really, like, 
super scared. It doesn't seem like it wastes a ton of time on doing on disposing of them. Uh, I mean, they they do come up twice. Uh, they do come up on a few occasions, but like it doesn't build them up to be necessarily like the climax of the movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the movie is smart enough to know, like, hey, like, we have something that's, like, a lot more emotional here, and that can be kind of the big fulcrum of the movie in the relationship between Spot and Arlo and what's going to happen, like, once they are actually, like, through all of this together and what their relationship has led up to. You know what I'm saying? It's like the the action scene wasn't actually the climax of the movie in a way to me at least. Yeah, I guess the the climax, yeah, is that point where he really uh, encounters the caveman family with uh, Spot, right? And uh, probably the most affecting scene in the movie, for sure, I think, because it draws back on their, uh, and I'm doing air quotes, as I, as I, as I say, this conversation <laughs> earlier when they, uh, re, uh, when Spot and Arlo recount each other's families to them. And it's one of the more effective things I think they do. And then uh, they're able to bring that back in a sweet way. And I guess that's your... Uh, your standard Pixar uh, tearjerker moment, if you will. Um, well, them get them finally beating the pterodactyls wasn't like um, I guess they, they are the ultimate bad guys, and that was them kind of beating them. But like they have the actual uh, scene where they help uh, the T Rexes with that herd and uh, mm-hmm. getting rid of the other. Uh, who are the other? The uh, what, what were they? What were they called? They're called wrestlers. And yeah, like, I wasn't. I wasn't totally clear on what those things were. Uh, dinosaur things or? yeah i don't know like I, but i wasn't clear what they were and i was like i don't understand why this is happening like why is it so important that these t-rexes like have a herd that they follow around is it because they eat them like why is this their <laughs> livelihood i don't really know but at the same time that was probably the best action scene in the movie oh, yeah. uh, and like seeing just that execution was really cool so i was like okay cool they gave us like a really cool action scene that's just a part of the movie it's not like the big it's not the big climactic scene it's not like the most important thing but it's like a cool thing to watch and then we'll move on to some other stuff that is ends up ultimately being more important so i was like okay well that's cool uh it was cool to have like sam elliott and uh and anna paquin there and uh get to hang out with them and watch this cool scene and then like see and and you see how fearless uh spot is and it, it, mm-hmm. it is kind of cool that, like, in a way, I think, like, Arlo's learning from him and just seeing how he's willing to just basically go bonanza doing whatever kind of needs to be done. And he's totally courageous in that in those moments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess that's, like, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, I, I mean, I feel like we I mean, pretty well covered it. it it's, it's like a simple movie. I, I kind of respect that, too, and that it, I mean, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't get too, um, it doesn't, it doesn't get too convoluted at any point. And we, I mean, we fairly well kind of went over everything. I mean, he, he gets, he gets back to his family at the end and it seems like they're, they're fine. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I, I spoiler people, but we're talking about little movies here. I, I, I don't really have anything to add. Cause I mean, him going back to the family is not, again, it's not even really the most emotional point. Of course, they're going to be happy to see him. We already saw the most emotional scene and, and much like onward. Like I said, when we did the onward podcast, you know, some, a decent chunk of that movie didn't really work for me as much. And I, I, mean, I might've actually liked the good dinosaur better, but it, both movies still like kind of hit that emotional payoff really well at the end and got those family moments. Right. And I think that's the best thing I can say about it. Um, do you have anything else to add, Joe? Uh, you know, yeah, it's just um, given the context of everything that happened in the sense that, like, um, when they first pitched this movie to the public, it was uh, Bob Peterson, who was one of the original uh, Pixarians, like, pitching this movie about, like, what if a, the asteroid had missed the Earth and dinosaurs had survived? And the way, like, the movie he was conceiving of had, you know, originally had, like, Neil Patrick Harris in it and... Hmm. Like it was like these dinosaurs who were like farmers and they were based off of like, uh, 
like him growing up around Amish farmers in Ohio, Bob Peterson as a child. And then basically the movie wasn't working. They scrapped it. They brought in Peterson who basically had to basically reshape the entire movie. So knowing all of that and then watching it, you're like, wow, like they did a fantastic job considering what they had, what they had to work with. Yeah. But, I didn't know any of that stuff before you told me when we started the podcast. Like I, uh-huh. so, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think this is something that was like, you know, Frank and Bited together and uh, cut and, cut up a lot and redone and anything like that. Like, yeah, there are a couple of like random scenes, but like yeah. th- that, that, that almost more seems like in, in a certain way, like I just chalked it up to like intentional weirdness and that was it. And that, that may very well be the case. Like I did, I, I don't watching it like, Hey, but yeah, it might not give me as much as what the best Pixar movies do, but I didn't never really had the thought like, Oh, this must've been a mess behind the scenes. I was just like, they're just telling a different kind of story. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing I say about it too, is like, I think that kind of, tumultuous uh, production like it just it felt like the movie you know there there's the message there of like getting through your fear and being courageous but like i just didn't really feel like i had a clear pov and um i think that kind of hurts it but all in all you know it's it's still like a fine movie and um perfectly good to watch with your kids you know yeah no, i know i definitely agree with you yeah. there on that message mm-hmm. but it's still like a, a perfectly fun watch and I, I don't know if it really like I, I guess I just and it might have been because it kind of came in with low expectations just the way people talk about it maybe I was just expecting something that was like a mess and it, it's definitely not that I, I mean again if you have kids and you're looking for stuff to watch and for whatever reason you just haven't watched that with them yet and you're just sitting there with Disney Plus quarantined with nothing to do I think it's a <laughs> perfectly fun one to queue up all right, we'll move on to Brave now uh, yes. and uh, Brave is the uh, 2012 Pixar entry that uh, is directed by Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman, a screenplay by them and a couple other people, Steve Purcell and Irene Mecky. And it tells the story of a royal family in medieval Scotland. Uh, There is uh, Queen Eleanor and King Fergus. Their daughter is uh, Princess Merida, and they are... um, uh, they're kind of like a newer royal family, I guess. And that's kind of the conceit is that they're trying to kind of maintain what they've achieved in a relatively short amount of time. And they want to make sure they kind of preserve what they have and stick with the traditions that they're developing. And one of those traditions is that they're the, the daughters of the families are going to get married off to the sons of some of their, uh, ally families. And Merida is, uh, only 14 so that's problematic in and of itself that they're taking the agency (laughs) they're taking that agency away from a 14 year old but on top of that uh she's not like some of your disney heroines that might already be totally down for that kind of thing at that point she wants to uh uh she wants to go out and do her own thing and just go out and do archery like a regular old kid would and is understandably had some conflicts with her parents about that and her we actually early on in the movie we see uh a, a, from a time when merida was little her, their their family got attacked by a huge monster bear named mordu a demon bear who attacked the family and merida and eleanor escape while fergus has to fight him and he apparently loses one of his legs which i actually missed when i was watching it first <laughs> i was like wait did he die i because it kind of goes to black and then we come back and it's like oh no he's still there and then it took it confused me for a minute because i thought they were like because i mean not unusual to have like a parent die in one of the in in certain movies of this genre early on but that wasn't what happened and uh so later on i had that the parent didn't bite it (laughs) in the uh, perilous scene for yeah yeah (laughs) and um but uh but we want to get back to like the more uh up to the the current timeline uh again merida is approaching that age where her family is expecting her to just go get married 
off. She's pushing back against that. Uh, they're going to have a ceremony where they get to decide, uh, you know, which of these other royal families are going to – which son are you going to end up marrying for one of these royal families? You get to choose the competition that they're going to have. She chooses archery. And because she's really good at that, she twists the rules and says, because I'm a firstborn, too. If I win, I get to pick and she does. And it makes her mom very upset because her mom wants her to follow these traditions. She runs away, meets a witch, wants the witch to give her some kind of spell to change her mom. The witch obliges. Turns out that spell is a potion that's going to turn her mom into a bear. And <laughs> then we got they got to fix that before the mom permanently becomes a bear. And I mean, just saying that out loud, Joe, I mean. It's kind of funny. We just talked about how The Good Dinosaur is the weirdest Pixar movie, and I just gave that synopsis, and somehow this probably isn't as weird as The Good Dinosaur, but it sounds awfully ridiculous. Um, I guess I'll start, Joe, and say I think one of the things that first struck me about this was that I'd, I'd watched The Good Dinosaur the night before, and I was struggling to really feel like, are you is this really like telling a story that feels like worthwhile and unique with a message and uh, subject matter that feels worthy of exploration? And my big takeaway from Brave was that I didn't have any of those questions. I could tell exactly what kind of message it wanted to send and what kind of new terrain it was mining for a Pixar movie. I just don't really know if it executed it totally well. Uh, specifically, it seems like it's a movie, given all those archaic traditions I just described, it's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't uh, have these really outdated gender norms. Uh, maybe women shouldn't contribute to helping hold up any kind of patriarchal society as the mom is doing early in this movie and contributing even more to those gender norms. You don't want them to be enabled by a woman in a position of power, but that's exactly what she's doing. But at the same time, the biggest culprit in that regard is the queen and she is without a voice for the vast majority of this movie. And we ha come and then all of a sudden has a change of heart. We never hear her say why. And I would say that's yeah. my biggest takeaway from this movie is that you still could have had a lot of the visual humor that it does and turning one of its characters into a bear that's not a bear on the inside and still had her talk. Yeah. And I thought, why couldn't they just turn her into a talking bear? And that still would have like maybe not taken away any of your comedic opportunities aside from like odd facial expressions that it makes that maybe he can – it's the only way can, she, she can express herself because she can't talk. But I think it would have like – you actually had the right dialogue for these two characters to work out their problems because the whole thing hinges on some kind of uh, riddle that the witch leaves behind about how you need to mend your what's torn in your or basically in their relationship. It's like we should hear them talk that out. And I think that was my biggest thing about this movie is that they, they have this fight with Mordor and then all of a sudden the queen's mind's changed. And I was like, I think there could have been a better way of telling this story. What is your, I mean, I just talked for way too long, given that you're the guest, <laughs> but, but uh, like, what's your, what's your opinion of Brave? Did you, you said you hadn't revisited this in longer than you'd visited the good dinosaur. So, I mean, did it, did coming back and doing this rewatch, did, did you have any new takeaways this time around? Oh, uh, well, I will say um, that it, aged well for me i guess i remember seeing it for okay. the first time and like uh liking the look of it and the mythos of it and i but i just didn't really care for it overall and i watched it this time and i was like oh maybe i've been hard on it and i don't know if that's um my first experience colored that interpretation or maybe it's just what other people have said about it but mm -hmm. that said I, I think your take on it kind of hit the nail on the head for me too is that i really wanted more from the mother-daughter connection uh, this, like the good dinosaurs also maybe they went through a director change halfway mm -hmm. through production. So, uh, maybe it's something, hmm. you know, maybe it's a product of that in a way, but like, there's that big key scene where Merida is trying to calm the clans in the big reception room of the castle and her mom's trying to sneak mm -hmm. up to get the tapestry. Uh, and she's like miming to her as a bear. And it's like, 
that's a great scene, how she kind of gets her to uh, articulate the change in tradition that ultimately brings uh, Merida's mother closer to her. Right. But it's like, I feel like we didn't quite get the necessary work before that point to get them to that because, uh, you know, I just, I wanted a little bit more, would have been more clear if the mother had been able to talk as a bear. Sure. And honestly, I would have liked that too, because one of the ongoing things in the mother's bareness, if (laughs) for lack of a better term, is she occasionally reverts to these periods where she is just like a regular bear and tries to like kill people. Yeah. And I think it would have been a little bit more jarring if she's like talking, talking to her mother. And then all of a sudden she's just like growling and grunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hadn't thought about that way. Yeah. But, um, no, cause yeah, I, I agree with you. Cause I just feel like I, that's the thing I wanted the most. Cause like the real heart of this movie is like her and her mother seeing eye to eye and listening to each other. And like, I just feel like we didn't quite get the team building necessary to get to, to fully earn that, uh, miming conversation that i uh, referred to yeah it just felt kind of out of nowhere i mean it's i guess it's a nice surprise when all of a sudden she realizes what her mom is actually saying is what she wants her to say but uh-huh. we've, we've just come off of that scene where which is a well executed scary scene i mean i don't know how scary they're truly going for in a kid's movie but i thought mordu is pretty scary and oh, yeah. in the dark like that where he's coming out of you don't know where he's coming from like it is well done and mm. I was like, all right, this is effective. I'm, it's tense. I'm scared for her. This is well done action. But then we're basically right back at the castle. There's not really any, there's not even really that much aftermath of that scene where you even attempt to have her talking to the queen and at least seeing some other reactions on the queen's face. I mean, mm-hmm. even that would have been something. It, it just cuts right back to the castle, basically, where she's like, oh, now all of a sudden I understand the riddle. I got, we got to go to the castle. And they just go there's yeah. not really any kind of there's not even like one conversation they have after that which could have just at least uh given a little more context for the decision the mom ultimately makes yeah absolutely i agree with that and um to like add on to it too like to talk about that bear scene which is incredible when she does the leap and everything like that's that's really cool mm-hmm. um but like i i liked the there was like certain threads that just don't quite uh don't quite come together for me. It's like, I really, I really like the metaphor of, of Merida's mother telling her the story of the four brothers who, um, are supposed to like to be the Kings of the kingdom. And then one of them wants power and that, that one that goes bad is more, uh, is more due, but right. it's just like, um, like I wish they had just, I don't know. It didn't feel as integral to the story as it probably could have, you know, in a sense. And, uh, I don't know. I wish they kind of threaded that in more because at the end, like, you know, Mordu just happens to see them, (laughs) you know, Mm. like he's trapped in that, uh, that cave wreckage when they first encounter him. And then suddenly he's just, yeah. How long has he been trapped there? You know, like he took the bite out. He bit off the dad's leg 10 years ago. And, uh, What's he been doing since then? Is he trapped there? Is he, what has he been eating that whole time? I, yeah. I, 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 I don't really know. But, uh, and also, the other, another weird thing, uh, which, I mean, it's not really a big thing, but like, that kind of confused me when I just it felt like another thread that the movie like, might have cut something out, or I don't know, was when, when they are back at the castle after they've had that scene where they've like, agreed that, okay, the first porn kids get to do what they want, uh, the queen is back in, and then the queen ends up having to run when people like find out there's a bear around there. But then mm-hmm. the king like goes back into his bedroom and like sees the queen's 
clothing on the floor and it's like, oh my God, what happened to her? It's like, it's definitely been more than a day. Like yeah. they, they, they spent the night on their road, on their, on their little road trip out there. It's like, where did he think she was like the last 24 hours? Did he just think like, is that a normal thing where she just like disappears for 20, 24 plus hours? He doesn't know where she is. It was just like, I don't know. I don't know if the story just like didn't flow. And there were a couple of weird questions that like, I just felt like they didn't really pick up on i don't know no it's funny that you mentioned that because i thought the exact same thing i was like <laughs> he's discovering the empty ransacked bedroom a little late i mean like in fairness like all the clans are there and he's like entertaining the men basically yeah maybe it's not but, unusual for them to like ignore the women for a day i don't know but the sun's good completely unaccounted for <laughs> yeah and, like and the little triple boys where, where did he think she was it's clear like i mean as much as we're saying about how this movie has something interesting to say about uh outdated gender norms and making sure that like we live in a more fair society with respect to our gender rules. Uh, it's not like they, the queen was like really subjugated in this society. She's sitting, standing right up there next to the king. And it seems like she has a pretty big say in things. So yeah. she just isn't there. It's like, I don't know where they think she is in that scene where she's in the room as the bear. Like, I don't know what they think she's doing. It seems like she was important enough that she would have at least had a seat in that room. So it was like, don't know what these guys were thinking the whole time i mean that probably could have been explained away and if they just added in a few more lines here or there about like something the women were off doing and it could have even they could have even done so in a way that like further uh hammered in their point about just like how like they could have made some comment about the women are off doing something less important or something like that and that could have actually served their message better but i mean it was just kind of it was very odd to like have him like freak out at, the, at that point in the movie when there's like 20 minutes left it's like where do you think she's been for the last hour of the runtime <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like there's that one line and i remember <laughs> where merida like walks into the room as they're all warring together and she's like i've been in conference with the queen and like that's the first they've heard of the queen since she went to bed ill like the night yeah. before yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, I feel like we have been pretty negative. And again, I, I, I didn't love yeah. this movie, but like, I mean, I, you said, you said it, you said it, um, it did age well for you. So I, I, I want to give you a yeah. chance to like talk about what you really did like about this movie. Yeah, for sure. Like, first of all, the, the action's incredible. Like mm -hmm. if you like think of, there's like just shots in this movie that I absolutely love. Like one of them is where Merida has to like leap away from Mordu and he like swipes at her feet as she grabs onto her mother's paw. Like that's incredible. Uh, everything with the archery is awesome. I think like, especially <laughs> where the, um, she bullseyes on the target and like the arrow splits the other one. Before, oh yeah. Like that's one of the coolest things Pixar has ever done. I think just from a visual standpoint and like the, the will of the wisps thing still, uh, affects me. You know, I, I remember when this movie first was rumored or when this, the, the teaser trailer first dropped for this movie, and I don't know if it was before Up or if it was before Toy Story 3, but I remember first watching the teaser for this movie and just being really excited about, like, the world and the look of it because, um, yeah, it just looked pretty amazing. And um, I still think, like, the Will of the West stuff works well. Like, The Witch is hysterical. I love The Witch Shop. Uh, if you're – if you've somehow never seen this movie but you're into Pixar Easter eggs, um, huh. the Pizza Planet truck appears in The Wood Shop. Oh, um, I missed that. He has a wood carving. Uh, but and then the whole sequence where they go back to the cottage and the cauldron acts like as an answering machine, basically, where it's like, like poor, oh, vial, yeah. <laughs> poor vial two for Gaelic. You know, it's like, <laughs> so like, the, you know, there's, there's bits in this movie that I really like. And like, you know, I, I will say like, I, I do like, I do like this movie. This movie did win an Academy Award. So keep that. Uh, so, 
with that in mind, I do think this is a, this is a movie that's less than the sum of its parts. Hmm. If that makes sense. Like there's a lot of things I like about this movie. I just don't think it quite works as well together as you'd like. And I think that might partly have to do with, you know, the director change halfway through, hmm. which is frustrating to me because it originally started off as, um, here's where I nerd out on your, um, your yeah, podcast. Go for it. Uh, this movie originally was, uh, written and directed by Brenda Chapman, who, uh, was a board artist on the little mermaid who storyboarded the famous scene where she gets up on the rock and the wave crashes behind her, that iconic image. Hmm. And she was head of story on the lion King and she directed Prince of Egypt, um, with two other people. So like, she's an incredible animator, incredible storyteller. And then came to Pixar to do this and just, uh, you know, a rift of John Lasseter and, uh, a certain culture at Pixar then sort of led to her being taken off of this movie and appointing a new director. So like with brave, I just wonder all the things I like about it. I was just, I think like, Oh, like what could have been with this thing? Cause I forgot uh, brave won the Oscar. Do you know what it beat yeah. that year? Uh, I know that I'm, was the wreck it Ralph. That up now. Oh, okay. Uh, wreck it Ralph. And I don't know what the DreamWorks title was. Uh, animated, animated is, uh, Frankenweenie, uh, paranorman wreck it Ralph and Pi- the pirates band of misfits. Oh, dang. See, that's a missed opportunity. Like, I, I do like Brave, but I wish Paranorman could have won that year. Okay, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that, so fun. i, I got to put that on my list. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I guess what I'll say is that, you know, I even if I'm – some of my bigger issues with it are the uh, – are just – I don't know if it really got its message across as well as it could have. It could have handled the stuff differently with the mother-daughter relationship. I, again, I agree with you on the action, and I still respected the fact that it tried to go there with that, mm-hmm. w- with the subject matter. I like it when these kids' movies go for stuff like that and can still be entertaining to the kids as well. It's ironic. I, I'm watching this at about the same exact time I watched uh, Dumbo last year, the live-action Dumbo, and oh, I yeah. felt the same way about Dumbo. I think it kind of lost its way in the second half when, like, the Michael Keaton character just, like, goes off his rocker and like, it, yeah. didn't, it, didn't, it didn't need to go that far with it i liked what they were doing and how they went far beyond the original movie and they were telling this interesting story about corporations basically and it just like it went a little too far but i still respected the fact that they were trying to do all that and i was thinking about it as i was watching brave and i was like how many other pixar movies again like onward kind of flies in the face of this hypothesis but onward came out afterward like how many other pixar movies actually go like that hard in dealing with like uh parent-child relationships and and like finding nemo is obviously about a parent and child but like there's really not that much like exploration of like their relationship it's never in doubt that like they love each other and he's trying to find him you know what i mean it's like it's not like there's a lot of conflict there that they're working out in that because like nemo's gone for like like a lot of the movie uh so i mean it might be about a father and a son but it's not about the relationship of a father and a son i haven't seen the cars movies i don't know if they go hard on that theme or not uh i can assure you they do not (laughs) so i was was just like thinking about it as i'm going through it's like well the incredibles is kind of about a family and maybe there are some like conflicts between the families smaller within it but like it's more like they're dealing with their other villains and Mm -hmm. um i was just like wow like and like like Coco is obviously about a family too, in some ways, but not like a, not really that hard on like the father and son or the mother and the son, or doesn't really go that deep on any of that. And onward, like it's about a guy that didn't know his dad. And, but it kind of has the same, does the same thing as brave or just like does away with like half of the, 
literally half of the parental figure. It's just a pair of pants. And yeah. we're, we're filling in a lot of blanks there. But, like, there's not another Pixar movie that, like, actually is largely just about a relationship where we see a lot of the conflict between the parent and the child playing out throughout the movie. It's just not a... This is not a theme they've explored before. And I so yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm glad they tried to do this. I just would have done it differently. And at least I respect the fact that they tried to go there. Yeah, it really captures like that, that adolescent conflict, you know, like when you're getting to that age where, you know, you're more adult like in your thinking and your parent has one expectation of you and like you're being able to think for yourself and you have a different idea of how your life's going to go, whether you're in a Scottish kingdom and like whatever century this is or modern day, you know, like. Um, that plays out in a way that, uh, finding Nemo where it's a much younger child, you know, and like it, it's not the same, yeah, it's not the same thing at all. Like you said. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I know it was based off of Brenda Chapman and her own daughter's relationship, which oh. makes it all the sadder. She didn't get to finish her work on this, but, um, you know, I mean, it works well and they take some big swings and a lot of it, a lot of it does really work. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad that, uh, I had a, an excuse to rewatch this and revisit it because, um, yeah, I yeah. definitely did enjoy I just, it. More. Yeah. I just want to reiterate again before we wrap up, you know, like I might not have like, uh, I might not have loved this movie, but like, there's still enough there that it's like, I, I it's not like a picture movie. I'd be like, don't watch that. That's a waste of your time. I might be saying something different after you do the cars podcast. I don't know, but <laughs> at least out of the other ones I've seen now, I've seen most of the others. Like I, this is no exception. Like there's, there's good stuff in brave. And I think it's interesting to talk about if nothing else, cause it's trying to do a lot of different storytelling things that like the other ones don't try and do. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think that pretty well sums up that one. Uh, Joe, before we head out, one thing we're doing now on these podcasts during our, during this time of isolation is I'm which we were already kind of doing before anyway, but like there's even more reason to be watching other stuff because no one else has anything to do. So is there anything you've been watching now that you're having time to like watch other movies that you would recommend people check out that you're just enjoying during your quarantine or it could be a TV show too, something else? Yeah, I'll, I'll do one of each. So, um, recently portrait of lady on fire, uh, which is a French film from last year debuted on Hulu. I'm sure you've discussed it on this show. Yeah, I did, I, yeah, I did the podcast yeah. about a month ago. Uh, with my friend Ben, yeah, so I guess if you're on this feed, you already. But yeah, it, it, since we did that, it, it got to Hulu. Since we did that, I mean, you know, a lot of people in the country like might not have been in a theater near them. Yeah, so definitely recommend that. Um, it is not something to watch with your children, like Brave and the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it two incredible performances in it and just um, really cool. It's you know, I mean, uh, I'm speechless. That last scene was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, yeah. And then I guess for a TV series, I just recently finished the second season of kidding, um, on Showtime. Uh, it's Jim Carrey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like that show is just very, uh, very surprising and off kilter, like in a fascinating way. And it's good to see Jim Carrey doing, you know, I mean, Jim Carrey was a lot of fun in Sonic, but it's great to see him doing like, you know, serious drama acting, you know, in a way like, uh, that we got with Truman show and, uh, eternal Sh sunshine and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll do, I'll do a, uh, movie and a, uh, television show also for a second. I didn't think I was going to have a movie, but it's actually very timely. Cause it's going to be what we're talking about next on the podcast, uh, nice. is, uh, one of the, the, the newest, one of the new, new releases to get this, you know, experimental, uh, $20 you can rent at home type deals. And that's never rarely, sometimes always, which is the new film from writer-director Eliza Hittman uh, about two girls that uh, have to go on a bit of a journey to uh, 
because they live in a rural area and abortion access is not what it should be in many parts of this country. And they uh, end up going from rural Pennsylvania to New York to try and help one of them go through that process. And it's 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 I mean, it's a it's a tough watch at times, but it's a I think it, it's not really that tough to watch because it's so well done and you just want to really take in that story. And I highly recommend it. I mean, I understand at the price point of being a twenty dollar rental as opposed to buying it is tough. But, you know, there's something to be said for taking advantage of having something available that easily that might not normally get in a lot of theaters outside of L.A. and New York. I don't know how big of a release this was going to get, but it had only gotten its L.A. and New York release at the time the theaters closed down. So some a lot of movies are getting pushed back, but for the ones that had like only been out like a week, you know, like The Way Back and Onward and this, like they're making them available. But you just you just gotta you just gotta pay a little more for it if you have one other person to watch it with. Just you know, you can think about it as like, hey, our movie tickets would have been more than twenty dollars if the two of us went. So I, I highly recommend that. We'll be talking about it next week on the podcast with uh, one or two of our other recurring guests for TV. I'm glad I, I have Joe here for this because I don't even know if Joe watches this show. But I recently went back because uh, a new season of this show started airing, but like I hadn't watched season three, and that's Brockmire. Uh, which is the? Oh, yeah. Do you watch Brockmire, Joe? I, I'm not current on Brockmire, but I'm well aware. <laughs> yeah, so I watched. So I watched the first two seasons uh, around the time they aired, and I just I just missed the third one last year. I don't even know if I had IFC on my TV, and I just forget where I could easily DVR it. I do have it now. So like I went back and just the season three is on Hulu. So I did that and season and season three was incredible. Um, and uh, season four is like halfway through right now and it's airing on IFC and it's about a you know Hank Azaria is plays a, a baseball announcer named Jim Brockmeyer who a character he originated on Funny or Die and turned into this show on IFC and he has to go back to the minors because he uh, literally probably drank and screwed his way and did a bunch of drugs and this totally embarrassed himself on the big stage and he has to go start out from the independent leagues as an announcer if he wants to work his way up back up to the big leagues and i mean it's crude but it actually has some really poignant moments too as uh the main character is going through his ups and downs so uh joe is a baseball guy i think you'd really dig it but i I honestly think you can enjoy this show even if you aren't a huge baseball fan because there's just a lot of other stuff to laugh at so uh i'd recommend that and they're only 21 minute episodes so and there's only four eight episode seasons or three and a half eight episode seasons at this point so it's not a ton to catch up on so highly recommend that uh everyone i, I want to thank joe again for joining me joe do you have anything else you want to plug i mean i know you, you always like to talk about your twitter being baseball but we might not have baseball till <laughs> till, ju- till june or july at this rate so do you want to plug your twitter or any anything else or, or your your actual professional endeavors uh no not nothing to plug really i um i guess i'll plug the fact that i finally uh, watch goodfellas it took a it took a nationwide quarantine for me to watch Goodfellas, and uh, yeah. So. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to try and cross off some other classics too coming up that I've just never gotten around to. We all have our blind spots. You have no excuse, people, to go back and watch those movies you've always said you were going to watch. I've been doing it with three-hour movies because you know, again, like it's easy to sh- put off three-hour movies. So I like I so I mean, go watch that thing you've always said you're going to get around to. Uh, but anyway, Joe, thanks again for joining me. Well, unfortunately, it seems like the theaters aren't coming back to like July. I would say so we're gonna have plenty of time to get to some other pixar talk so at some point joe will be back in the next couple months to talk about all of the cars movies and the monsters movies and uh who knows maybe something else we're we're gonna have a lot of time to fill uh but coming up next like i said we'll have never rarely sometimes always so thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time